0: On this episode of the Kabiné podcast, I was joined by Yusuf Arman, founder of The Vial Store. Uh, Yusuf and I discuss his background growing up around pharmacies and pharmacists. We talk about what starting a pharmacy requires and the day-to-day operations of that. Uh, We talk about pharmacy pricing and costs and how pharmacies make money. Uh, We discuss the burning question that I had and the reason for the interview how is it that pharmacies always seem to have medications in stock, regardless of what they are and when you come in? And so, from that end, we discuss demand planning, formularies, um, and how pharmacies uh, always have those medications. We talk about the role of specialty pharmacies in developing areas, and we end off by talking about the Vial Store, his venture, and where the idea came from. I hope you enjoy this episode with Yusuf. You're listening to the Combinate Podcast, a show that connects you to the most important resource in the medical device and pharma industries, its people. My name is Subi Sadeh. I'm a bioengineer, and for the last decade, I've sought to broaden my understanding in this industry and have been amazed at the wonderful people I've met and the insights they've given me. Each week, I sit down with leaders to discuss their expertise, the lessons they learned, and continue that mission. Whether you're a student, engineer scientist or marketer you're sure to pick up advice and knowledge that you can apply to make an impact now on to the episode Hi everybody and welcome to the Combinate podcast. I'm your host Subhi Sadeh and we are graced and honored today by my dear friend uh, Yusuf Arman. Uh, welcome Yusuf. Thank you for
1: having me my brother.
0: Yeah Yusuf you, is uh, a consultant turned founder. Uh, he uh, he worked at, at multiple well-known companies. His background is in finance. Um, his uh, family has owned multiple pharmacies and I could think of no one better to bring onto the show to answer some burning questions that I had. Um, but more recently, Yusuf's most uh, kind of prominent venture is founding the Vial Store. And so I'm excited to talk to you today, Yusuf.
1: I'm excited to be here. Love to answer
0: any questions you have. <laughs> <laughs> can, can you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Uh, sure.
1: Um, born and raised in
0: lovely Chicago,
1: um, Northside, as you are very well aware of. Yeah. Um, and our um, our disdain for the South.
0: You're basically um, the, the the most Chicago person I know. I
1: Yeah, I think so. It has to be. Um yeah, product of Chicago public schools. Um and then um went to Northeastern University for finance, as you mentioned. And uh my family's background is all sciences, so we have um three pharmacists in the family and a dentist. I was the black sheep that wanted to try to connect everything together from a, from a business perspective. That's kind of where we're at today right now. just combining all those worlds together, not the family business. Company.
0: Yeah. So, so you, you started out, um, I'm, I'm just curious to ask you this question because I know a lot of people who's, who's, um, Parents had family business, successful or unsuccessful, almost doesn't matter. Uh, many people kind of come out of that, and they're like, "I don't want to do that. I want to work in in corporate America or whatever." It seems like you started that way, but then moved into kind of doing your own thing. I'm wondering what that's about.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, just you know, corporate America has it has its pros and its cons for sure. You know, job stability, flexibility. Um, you know, there's less on your plate sometimes. Um, completely different world than being a founder and you know handling your own operation but I feel like um, in uh, at my core um, I was meant to to open something and to run it and I feel like I always knew that so um, working in in corporate America especially at Deloitte you know you learn structure organization a lot of tools that you're not privy to unless you're in those worlds Um, and then so Uh, Once I felt like I I had enough out of that place, gained a lot of financial acumen, um, understanding how to work systems. And I was like, all right, it's time to go trying to do my own.
0: Yeah. So um, I think your your first venture out um, once you once you sort of left was uh, working, working on your own pharmacy, right?
1: Uh, No, the vial store was first.
0: It was first. okay. Yeah. Um, I guess before we jump into the vial store, can you talk about your history working with uh, your your dad? in the pharmacy, I think from, from a relatively young age.
1: Yeah. So um, I think our timelines were kind of off with the, with the pharmacies. Um, like my dad worked, worked retail pharmacies his entire life. And uh, my childhood was just him coming home late, complaining all the time, just hating his profession, hating the things he had to deal with, uh, the, you know, ma- oh M- macro managing bosses, the the patients that can be a handful, the insurances just it's it's a very demanding, strenuous job. And he, he, I feel like he lost his passion from it. So our our mindset growing up, at least me and my older sister, was pharmacy is no good. It's not where you need to be. And I think his switch like flipped where he was almost back to like his passion for for medicine and helping people is when he opened his own. So when when he opened his own pharmacy, I was a sophomore in college. I was going down the finance route. So I had no interest or desire in doing anything with the family business or anything related to pharmacy. It wasn't really there. But then as I saw his passion kind of come back into it with his own place, and then it kind of like, all right, let me come take a look. I I never even shadowed him at his job when he was at Walmart or CVS. It was not until he opened his own place. Um, And then we started going into it. Then my mind kind of shifted into, okay, how can we uh, how can we simplify his business model? How can we make things more streamlined? You know, things that he just didn't understand how to do. Um, he was the medical brain, and then I was the the numbers guy. So we kind of fused together.
0: So what I mean, what does what does opening a pharmacy look like?
1: Yeah. So that's um, well, we have now four locations, and that that process has changed dramatically from the first one till now. Um, but uh, essentially, you first start off with uh, applying to the state. Um, for a general licensor and they're just looking for bare bones of a business things that um, you know having a security cameras installed having an adequate water supply when you're compounding medications just just the basics um, they come out they give you their conditional blessing for approval and then once you get their approval then you start the build out of the pharmacy um, the shelving the computers uh, integrating everything and that all takes a lot of time you're just, you're at the mercy of you know state officials and regulators. Once you get past those steps, then the real obstacles begin. It's with the insurance
0: companies. So I guess before before we jump into that, so the I yeah. mean what is, what does the what do the government agencies have to do with um, the build out shelving and? Um...
1: Um, no, they just come in and they they want to make sure that there's. Um, there's no issues with the owner's background that they they follow proper protocol in terms of like how to adhere to pharmacy rules and regulations, storage of the medications, um, um, just like you know general like just general business stuff like your hours of operation have to be posted in four different areas. You have to consult the patient, um, and the, the things that you consult them on have to be printed out and given to each person as they walk out of the door. So they go through like general pharmacy rules and regulations even before you have them ready or opened up. They just want to make sure that you have an understanding and an awareness for it.
0: What, so what come agency? Out and, what agency do you work with?
1: Uh, department of Financial and Professional Regulation, and then their subset, the pharmacy department. And they come and they uh, they uh, they give us their okay. And then once we get a conditional approval from them, we have to open our doors within thirty days.
0: Oh, can can you repeat the name of the agency? Uh,
1: IDFPR, so Illinois Department of Financial and Professional Regulation,
0: IDFPR, and then pharmacy is under it. And then once once you receive the conditional um, approval, you open within thirty days. Correct. Yeah, we have. To. What what if you don't?
1: We have to go through the process again.
0: Oh, so your so your um, conditional approval is for those thirty days. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So, so at this point, you know, you've, you've done everything that you've talked about. You've, uh, you know, set up some security. You have a, and it, it, what, what kind of water? Is it water for injection or?
1: Yeah, just a sterile water um, uh, filtered, um, making sure that hot and cold both come out of the faucet. Like that's the first thing she looks at. Um, as soon as she walks in the door, they'll always go to the
0: sink and make sure that it's working. Huh. Um, okay. And then, and then, and then you have, you, you have your build out, you get your conditional approval and then what?
1: Yeah. Then you get a conditional approval, then it's all hands on deck. And then you have to, you know, you have to have the contractors ready to go. So, uh, build out includes, you know, the shelves where you're going to put the medications, um, your standard medication, then you have your controlled substances that are locked away in cabinets. Okay. Sorry. sorry,
0: So, so, so sorry. Okay. So, so that first inspection, then you do the conditional approval. And when you say open your doors, you mean open your doors for construction?
1: No, you have to be open for business within 30 days. So you have in between the conditional approval and open for business, you have to finish everything within 30 days.
0: Okay. So that's a, that's helpful clarification. Okay. Thanks. Keep going.
1: So yeah, we build out the shelves for the medicine and then, um, controlled substances have their own process and procedures have to be um, locked away in a uh, in a two lock cabinet. So you have to have some combination of a keypad and a key. And then um, they need to uh, they need to be away from eyesight of the of the patients, so they can't see where they're coming from. So usually they're hidden somewhere behind a, a, another shelf or underneath the register, underneath the computer, just something. It, can't, it has to be away from eyesight of the patient. Uh, the controlled substances. Why is um, that? Uh, control substances. Some of them are, you know, addictive. Um, uh, some of them are sold illegally, um, and are obtained illegally. So someone walks in and starts having a visual idea of where you're hiding them.
0: Understood. Coming easy. So we, we're
1: very mindful of that.
0: Okay.
1: Um, uh, yeah. Then just, uh, building out the infrastructure, the, um, the syncing of the network, you know, installing pharmacy operation softwares, making sure everything ticks and ties. So we, we get 30 days. Um, from their conditional approval to make sure all that is up and running
0: and the uh, and the pharmacy operation software what 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 is that doing
1: uh so the software we use is called it's called BestRx. there's a handful of vendors that um that are out in the market it essentially um its main main function is serving as a middleman between the insurance company and the pharmacy and it uh it uses a an, an api integration that um speaks to the switch so we send the claim data to the switch switch sends it to the insurance company they reject or approve it they send it back to the switch switch sends it back to us so this all happens in real time so we can see what was covered and what wasn't
0: what is a switch as we're billing
1: the claim it's like um just think of uh like you know how you, old-fashioned phones you call but it really goes somewhere and then they route that call to the person you're actually calling, the same idea, just
0: I see, I on see. a pharmacy scale. Interesting. And so it, is, is that like a point of sale system or that's completely separate?
1: It's completely separate.
0: Yeah. And so this is, this is only for um, reimbursement from insurance.
1: It's main, main purpose, but it serves almost every other function in the pharmacy too. Like your patient profile is on there. You know what they're taking A to Z. Um, if you need to send um, refill requests to the doctor's, um, your electronic prescriptions that come in, they come in through the software. Um, if you need to mail out any medications or deliver it locally, uh, print patient profiles. Uh, it checks all sorts of uh, drug interactions too. Um, it gives you the acquisition costs of the drugs. Um, it, it gives you alternatives if the drug isn't covered by insurance. Suggested alternatives if you need to get uh, prior authorizations from the doctor. It, it, it functions. It's It's our... It's the holy grail at the pharmacy. It's what we use every
0: day, all day. Understood. And so um, can you talk about cost? To start up? Well, well no, 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 not to start up. Um, you know, most of my listeners are in the uh, pharma or medical device space focused on, um, say, bottom line, re- trying to reduce the cost of goods on a new product or a, or an existing commercial product maintain quality and that type of thing. Um, when you guys are talking about cost, I guess what does that look like from your point of view a cost cost to who and then w- you know where does the markup happen, and what does the patient pay and so on
1: so we 're very limited in what we can do when a patient has insurance we 're at the mercy of of the insurance company and their reimbursements right. Um, So we have little to no say to what they reimburse us at, where we have a little bit of say and even that is changing and they're monopolizing the the market significantly. But our our leverage points are with uh, buying um, in bulk. Sometimes buying in bulk gives you enough of a discount to make it so that you can stay in business pretty much. So um, the pharmacy world in general is a pennies game and, you know, you'll make a quarter, 50 cents, a dollar. Uh, on a medication so the name of the game is the more prescriptions the more you make um this is i mean this weekend this can be a, a separate podcast altogether but this is um like a phenomenon that's changed in the last four or five years um with these um players in the industry called pbms pharmacy benefit managers and they're essentially middlemaning um the pharmacy side of the business um and they're lining up their pockets at the expense of the independent pharmacies nationwide. So this is a struggle that we're seeing in our industry right now.
0: And and PBMs are, they're part of insurance companies or they're their own companies? I mean, what, I don't understand what.
1: Yeah. So Blue Cross Blue Shield, let's say is your insurance provider, and then they contract their pharmacy benefit service to this middleman, this PBM. So for example, the PBM of Blue Cross Blue Shield plays the role of saving the insurance company, uh, insurance money um but in reality they're lining their pockets from the patient and from the pharmacy so they're eating into our bottom line significantly like
0: and then um and then so you know you talked about buying in bulk what what does the um we we may be getting into unnecessary detail here but when, when you talk about the best rx software telling you uh cost um can you describe that
1: yeah so um Pharmacies are run by something called an average wholesale price (AWP), and um, BestRx has the ability to integrate like average wholesale price based on like let's say the top five vendors that uh, or uh, pharmacy um, suppliers that'll provide the medicine. So they'll get an average wholesale price and then tell you what your acquisition cost is from the supplier you're purchasing from to give you like a a soft indicator of like did you buy it at a good price? Is this cheaper somewhere else? Are you in line with the average wholesale price uh, as we're billing the claim? Because remember, the pharmacy world, you you have split seconds to make these decisions. It's not like, you know, you have an afternoon to get back to the patient. Sometimes they're waiting right there and you have to make decisions like, OK, did I did I not, not necessarily did I make money? Did I not lose money? That's the mindset of the average pharmacy. It's more often than not on these claims, we're, we're losing money. So um, we have to make split session, second decisions on like in the moment when they're there. And then, if we determine let's say Matt Foreman from supplier A is costing us three dollars, but the a w p is two fifteen then that tells us that we're overpaying for what we have right now, and we need to start shopping around with other suppliers to see if we can get closer to that a w p
0: okay so it it keeps you it keeps you on the the pulse of you know what your what your own acquisition costs are,
1: yeah, and as soon as we submit the claim we we integrate it so that our true acquisition cost to the penny is, is there. So it shows us like the insurance company paid X and we got, and it cost Y and the, our differences are net, whether it's a positive or a negative, it shows up right away. So we're able okay. to,
0: and that's based on what you actually paid for it. Not what that average, that rolling average AWS, the AWP yeah. is.
1: It shows you both. So you, you have an indicator.
0: Okay. Yeah. Und- understood. So, I mean, can you talk about how pharmacies um, make money? I mean, you alluded to it a little bit, but um, maybe maybe yeah, so a little bit more explicitly.
1: Pharmacy world from the 1900s until five years ago made money on one thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, on one thing. It's called a dispensing fee. And it's the time and service that the, the pharmacy provides. The pharmacist to verify the medicine and to go through the medical knowledge. The technician to, to run the claim, build the claim, print the label, put the label on the vial, pay for the vial, dispense the... the, the the medication that's that's a standard dispensing fee industry wide uh it was anywhere from eight to twelve dollars that was your that was essentially your profit and then anything per script else you made doesn't matter per, yeah per script doesn't matter this was like an industry standard um dispensing fee um it varies based on insurance companies policies and like state government policies like if it's patient Medicaid or Medicare but generally speaking it was that was the that was our money right there. Um, we would get reimbursed on the, like the cost of the drug. Let's say if we lost 50 cents or made a dollar, it would wash out overall. Like, um, cause they, the insurance companies will reimburse based on that AWP. So if you bought it, let's say slightly higher, they're going to reimburse you at AWP. You might lose a few pennies there.
0: Um, or okay, in so the you're, retrospect, you're,
1: you can make a few.
0: So your, your role is essentially um, sort of a distribution role where the, at least more than f- five years ago and before, um, you weren't, you weren't penalized for, for spending a small percentage over or a small percentage you, and and you, you wouldn't be profitable either. Right. If you were,
1: it was, yeah, it was ne- negligible. Like it, yeah. we could make some on it or lose. We wouldn't even notice. We were just in our heads. All right. This script, we just made $8 because that's the dispensing fee that we okay. we were given. Okay. Um, that was before these benefit managers came into the world. And then essentially what they did was they stripped that dispensing fee. So those 8 to $12 nowadays are anywhere from 25 to 50 cents. Wow. Yeah. So overnight, like the whole. Was it really retail, overnight that? Um... Yeah, it was. Um, I was there when it happened. It was a little over five years ago. Um, it started with state Medicaid. Uh, I don't know if you remember state Medicaid. Um, it was like a white sheet of paper. Have you ever seen people having it, it would, it would get folded up in a wallet or a purse, but it was like a long white sheet of paper. And it was like state government insurance. Is and, it, uh, for context,
0: this, is this Illinois only or? or This um, is Illinois. Eight. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. But um, in general, the other States have a similar structure like with the state PBM. Medicaid. Yeah. The, initially it was just state Medicaid. Then these PBMs came and they told the state, Hey, you guys are overpaying these pharmacies. You're overpaying drug companies. You're overpaying for everything. Why don't you let us handle this operation? You know, we'll take it off of your plates. You guys have enough to worry about, especially Illinois, right? So they, they come in with this concept. And then essentially the first thing they do is strip away the entire dispense. Mind you, they're not, and, and there's, some, there's some litigation involved now where they're, where they're trying to eliminate PBMs, but they're telling the state off the record, they're telling the state, yeah, we're giving the pharmacy, let's say two to three dollars per Prescription. You guys used to pay them eight to 12. So that net difference is what we're saving you. That's the service we provide. In reality, they're giving us nothing, a quarter, 50 cents, and they're pocketing the rest. And they're middlemaning the government. And um, this has gone on nationwide, each state. And there's a few states that have already gotten regulation passed where they've fired them. Uh, Ohio did it two years ago. Um, they first got a bill passed saying they wanted some regulation on these companies because there's no regulation at all. And once they did their analysis, the state on how much money they cost them, the PBMs, and they went back to the traditional system of just government handling straight Medicaid and not dealing with these PBMs.
0: And so from from your point of view, uh, net net, the the PBM ends up potentially costing more. You're saying
1: they're costing the taxpayer more. They're costing the government more and they're taking away like uh, resources in in underserving communities that need these pharmacies like some communities that, you know, they'll go to their pharmacists for everything. And they speak the language that they speak. And pretty soon, if there isn't shakeup nationwide in these independents, they'll go out of business. Like they're, they're hanging on by a thread right now. They're, they're surviving, but it's, it's very. Brutal.
0: And so what, what do the, what do the day-to-day operations look like for, um, in a, in a pharmacy? Like how I, I think the, the, I told you, the reason that I, I I brought you on is I just, I couldn't believe it that I, I've never been to a pharmacy and they said, we don't have this in stock. You have to go to a different place. Never happened. And so yeah. I'm just, it It kind of perplexed me. And I you were kind of the first person I thought of to ask. So um, maybe talk about high level day-to-day and then answer that question. Okay,
1: high level day-to-day, you come in. Um, uh, BestRx does a really good job of automating a lot of our daily tasks when we start. So for example, patient X has... 10 medications he takes on a monthly basis. He's been taking them for years. Uh, we set up, um, uh, triggers and cues that'll tell us if patient X takes this every month, um, then bill his, uh, insurance on this date and print the labels and fill his medicine. So when we come in, the first things we do is we go through that list. That's people that are on monthly maintenance medications and that they've consented to automatic refills. Um, we go in and we fill those to get that off our plate for the day. Um, uh, Once that's done, um, once that's done, we have to clear any sort of uh, electronic uh, prescriptions or faxes that come in from the doctor's offices. Um, Sometimes overnight, you'll get, you know, hundreds at a time. Um, So we go in. Yeah. A lot of times, you know, doctor's offices won't have time through the day. So they'll send it once they close shop, they'll just send all their requests back. Some of them could be, general refills for patients on medication. Some could be urgent stuff that the patient needs right away. So we try to filter out based on need. If we see, for example, um, um an antibiotic, you know, usually you have to start that right away. So if we see those, we prioritize those first. We get those done, call the patients, we'll let them know right away it's ready. The things that we know we have time for, we'll put to the back and back of the pile. Try to prioritize based on um and then it's yeah just handling the patients that come in that call ask you know, a lot of the same repetitive questions, um, dealing with insurances, issues of uh, either they don't pay or they underpay, or they require assistance, like prior authorizations or an alternative medicine, things like that. And those small tasks over time done at the same time can be very overwhelming, important to um, make it as streamlined as possible. So we automate as much as we can.
0: And then in terms of uh, in- ensuring that you have or, or don't Um, you know, ensuring you have steady supply. I I think of what what I'm always sort of confused by is does do all I'm assuming not all pharmacies have all drugs, right?
1: Yeah. Okay. So to answer your question about why it's always in stock. Yeah. So it starts with this concept of a formulary. So pharmacies have a general formulary of medication based on their clientele. So that takes time to develop. But essentially, it's like, what are people asking me for? And let me make sure I have stock of it. So as the business grows over time, you'll start to, you'll see it based on the pharmacy you walk up, walk into what kind of clientele they have.
0: So it's so demand planning.
1: Yep. So if you're open in an urgent care clinic, you're going to stock up on things that are like pain driven, antibiotics, you know, antihistamines, things that people need on the fly really quick. They'll stock up on. If you open next to a dialysis center, you might, you know, be overstocked on, on kidney kidney medications or or blood thinners, or things that are related to that. So with time, the pharmacy formulates this formulary, and then they always have stock of the things that they assume people are going to come in for. That's one. Two, there's a a top 200 list that standard pharmacies go through, and then more often than not, when you walk in, you'll have at least one bottle on the shelf of those top 200 medications. So those are always in stock wherever. Um, Then, thirdly, the... uh, the pharmacy like supply chain is top notch. Like it's, it's second to none. I think, I mean, in my perspective, you can order anything you want and have it there next day. This is before Amazon was a thing. So these these big supply suppliers, Amerisource, Bergen, uh, Cardinal Health, uh, McKesson, I don't know if I'm missing anyone else. I think those are the big three. Their warehousing systems are so sophisticated and they're in almost every corner of America. Whenever we need anything, we get it next day for free and if you even need it same day they can provide the service at a cost so there's we we have once in a while it happens someone comes with a one-off product we don't stock but it's never a a hindrance on filling the medicine tell them next day we'll have it so and we deliver so we just send it straight to their house
0: is there any difference between a hospital pharmacy and like an independent
1: a hospital pharmacy inpatient is completely different yeah it's night and day. So I don't even know the intricacies of it, but it's essentially you're, it's mostly like, if you ever had a hospital stay, it's a lot of IV driven stuff. So it might be more liquids than pills. You're not getting a monthly supply. You're getting a daily supply. So you have to build insurance on a daily supply, sometimes even an hourly supply. Um, yeah, much more, much more to it. Um, I don't think they bill insurances direct. I think they bill the hospital for fees of service and then the hospital bills the insurance. Um I'm not sure, but the outpatient, when you let's say you discharge and you get sent home with a, a Z pack, yeah, that outpatient pharmacy is just like a regular pharmacy. No oh. different.
0: Interesting. Um, are are you still working in the in the pharmacies?
1: Yeah, I move around from one to another.
0: Is is that work you like? It's rewarding
1: for sure. Like, um, I don't think there's any other feeling like you're helping someone, and you know, a lot of times in in the communities we're in, they're stuck. Their insurance just got turned off. They're low on cash. But things happen, you know, and there's a lot of bureaucracy with standard pharmacies um, and you're hard pressed to walk into a Walgreens and find someone willing to help you if you don't have a few dollars. And so we're empowered to do that in our locations and it's
0: for sure rewarding. That's awesome. So, um,
1: those moments keep keep you grounded when you're like going crazy dealing with insurance companies or you know dealing with doctors or things like that. So.
0: Yeah. And you, and you, you also mentioned the, the language barrier. Can you talk about that?
1: Yeah. So um, our first pharmacy, MaxCare Pharmacy on Devon in California. And that's a very
0: um, multicultural
1: community. Um, it first opened um, in, what was it like 12 years ago? So we had an influx of uh, Iraqi and Syrian refugees that were coming. And um, they came here with no, nothing to their name. They didn't know what to do. They didn't know how insurances worked. Structure of pharmacies in their countries are almost like a candy store. Like you can walk in and get stuff without a medic, uh, prescription. So just the whole world is literally foreign. And um, it was our job essentially to teach them how to apply for like government assistance, how to apply for housing assistance, like um anything they needed to do to get structured. The pharmacy ended up becoming like the network resource for them. And they would say, oh, you know, come by MaxCare, they'll take care of you, even if it's something related to like their comment bill. So <laughs> we came like a, a, a sense of community. And, and that's what built the foundation of that place until this day. It's still like it. So um, the language barrier, for sure, they're coming from a Middle Eastern country speaking arabic there's not that many pharmacies where they live within a walking distance that have that ability to do so so we provided that service for sure
0: that's amazing i i want to um sort of pivot and talk about uh the the vial store what what prompted that i think you know um i know you 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 sort of worked uh w- worked with w- within your family businesses right and then you 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 moved into this venture that, that to me seems pretty different.
1: Yeah. Um, so where was I, we were, uh, we were, I think outside like it was a barbecue outside and my dad, uh, bless his heart loves to complain about everything. So he, uh, he was just ranting about the cost of vials and I wasn't too involved with the businesses yet, but uh, like I was more the IT guy when their computers weren't working, they called me to help out. So um uh he was like man these things cost 60 bucks a case and they're plastic made from china it's so cheap we're getting ripped off and he was just like how many is in a case uh between two and 300 so um and my dad you know being from our makeup we're entrepreneurs at heart it was always you know i can get it better and i can do it better so he's like you should look into this should look into like where we can source this from maybe we can we can figure out a way to um, save some money just from his independent pharmacy it wasn't even this idea of opening a business and then uh just went down the rabbit hole of alibaba and reddit that whole world of just where do i get this from and how do i get it and uh yeah and it just you know it took like i loved the idea and then i was like nah maybe i can sell these two pharmacies so i, I got really excited and i was like let me let me try this out so i can dive into that story if you'd like to yeah yeah so um so i first like we we were, we were like, we were gun ho about the idea. Let's do this. Um, and I was like, let me gauge the interest of other folks first before I do it. I don't know. I just know where my dad buys it from and his costs. And that's, I went to like a handful of pharmacies and, uh, and, um, and they were like, yeah, we get it from so-and-so we're paying $60 to $70 a case. So then I've, I reached out to some sources in China. Um, I ended up finding a source that sells to someone in California. And I wanted to buy some from him first before I, I, I pulled the trigger. I bought a handful of cases. I gave them to these guys. These guys were like, "Oh, this is good. We're saving some money. Why not? We'll we'll give it a shot." They they took a few cases from me. I got a little excited. I was like, "All right, we got to get this stuff ourselves from China and uh and like let's, you know, sort import it and uh and and take on this task." Mind you, I have no experience in any of this in imports and freight logistics tariffs, like this whole world is completely foreign to me. So I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm just thinking, I'm going to order it. It's going to come in a couple of weeks. We'll be fine. We get a 40-foot container worth of product. That's about 2,000 cases. Average pharmacy does like 10 cases a month. So like, mind you, I have no customers, nothing. I have 2,000 cases. I have a nice little warehouse space I rented. Uh, The container comes, we open it up. And then I realize it's floor to ceiling of boxes. I'm just like, how am I going to take this off? Like, do I take it off box by box? I didn't know what a pallet was. I didn't know what a forklift was, a pallet jack. Oh, I, called, I called out of all people Mo two times, who was working at uh, Costco. A friend of ours worked at Costco. And he like, this is his thing. He's in the back end of Costco. So this is like nothing to him. He's like, all right, let's he's like, call 10 guys. Let's, let's, let's crank it out. So he taught me, he literally taught me how to palletize a product, how to shrink wrap it, how to lift up a fat pallet jack. And we wheeled it down into the warehouse piece by piece took us like six hours and then I got a warehouse filled with vials ready to go eager excited I had a few all people the same vial, um like uh, different sizes but s- predominantly the same color yeah we had a liquid one and then one for the pills um wasn't too much variety but and, and I had already had a few sales before I got it so I was like oh, I'm excited This is gonna be easy and I started going door to door rejection after rejection after rejection after rejection it's just like we don't have time for you we're busy we're barely surviving leave me alone I don't want to talk to a vile guy like just I was so de- defeated like just like man I just spent all this money I have a whole warehouse worth of stuff the only people that are buying for me is my dad and his friends who own pharmacies and that's it and I have nothing going for him so it was a really challenging time um and uh, I didn't give up I kept at it. Um, I still got no sales, but uh, I made a website. It was like a very like basic website, just almost informational, like like a res- a restaurant website would have, just hours of operation, where we're located, things like that. And I had a guy call me from Alaska, and he was he's like, I have a pharmacy in Alaska, and our vials are impossible to get to us. They're always um, like out because of the distance and the, the commuter issue with Alaska, logistics wise. And he's like, can you get these, but in a different color? Our pharmacy deals where our theme is red and we want red vial. I I bought a container worth of amber because that's the standard color. When you walk into a Walgreens or CVS, I didn't know they even make other colors. So I reached out to my supplier in California. I was like, Hey, do you guys have these in red? And he goes, yeah, we do. We actually have them in 10 colors. I was like, are you willing to drop ship the product for me if I get a sale? And he's like, yeah, of course. So uh, I sent him the, the purchase order. He sent the sale, he sent the product to the customer and then it was like a light bulb went on. And I was like, all right, maybe the market isn't these mom and pops in Chicago going door to door. Maybe the market is online. Maybe there's a need for people in rural areas who don't have a variety of vendors to choose from that are available at their fingertips every day to buy something. Or maybe they're just dealing with one person and they don't even know there's an alternative and they're frustrated like my dad was with the price. So then my whole shift literally was like, I don't care if I throw all this stuff out right now. This is online. This is where I need to be. So then it, my yeah, like my world literally flipped upside down. And then it turned into like this dropshipping concept. So I was looking at my supplier's website, what he sells. And I started mimicking his products. I'm like, I'm just going to sell his product line for him. and then,
0: as, and then, a yeah, then it go- as a win-win type thing or a competition type?
1: No, win-win for him. I mean, I'm selling his product. I'm getting it slightly discounted, but he's not eating up the retail world. Yeah, he he does a lot of wholesale. I mean, he sold to me, oh, right? So,
0: oh, I see. Okay, okay. Different so markets. He
1: does sell retail when it comes, but it's that's not his predominant focus. So um, so then it was into the understanding the world of um building a website, taking credit card payments, uh building search engine optimization results, going into Google paid per click advertisements, like it's a whole different world. Like it became an IT online e-commerce business, nothing to do with farming. Um so that, that was like the background story of it. And then it shifted into nothing but online. And I started meeting multiple suppliers and adding their products and then building like this website where I could just drop ship from customer A, customer B, customer C. Little by little, it grew. I was still working at Deloitte. I was just waiting for the business to like honestly make enough so I can leave. And then um, then it got to the point where I was making a good amount of money. And I was like, all right, it's time to to jump ship and do this full time. Uh, so we were, we were doing that for a couple of years, drop shipping, and then you, you know, in the drop shipping world in general, there's a lot of hiccups. You know, if the, if the supplier is out of stock, you make a sale, you can't fulfill it. It's a bad look on your brand and your business. Costs were going up. Everyone started to drop ship stuff in general. So the market tri- started to change. So then it, I, I came back. Oh, I didn't tell you. The 2000 cases that I had stored in the warehouse with Mo, I couldn't sell. No one wanted to buy it. Like they were just buying the things I was drop shipping online. So mm-hmm. I even called a dump, a dump truck. I, like I didn't need to pay rent anymore, so I
0: I I uh, finished out my lease. Oh, um, you didn't you were you you weren't warehousing anything because you were drop shipping.
1: That was drop shipping. So I had maybe half the container remaining after a
0: year. I finished
1: my lease, and then I I trashed all the products. Like I called one eight hundred, got junk, and they took everything. Crazy. Uh, it it yeah, it really is. And I threw it out in the garbage, and now I would kill for it. So My warehouse is empty. So um <laughs> so then as the years progressed, right before COVID hit, I started to sense that my suppliers were gonna start to like either eliminate me or like they could do this themselves. Like I got the feeling the vibes were there. And I was like, all right, now it's time to maybe go back to China and source this ourselves. We have a clientele, we have a customer base. I know exactly where they're buying it from. I know my price points. I know what tariffs are now. I know how to unload a container. Um, So we got a new space literally the weeks before COVID. um, And then we got our first container and then we went to work doing it like on our own uh, in Chicago and uh, it's been like that now since February of 2020. So we're pushing our year three of having everything stocked locally and um, things have been going great. Just trying to keep up with demand now, honestly.
0: How, uh, how has the, the most recent kind of increase in, in freight costs impacted you?
1: Um, yeah, uh, like anyone else, it's horrible. Um, because you do free um, shipping too, right? We do free shipping after a certain threshold. Um, I I will say there is competition, but the competition is dealing with the same things we're dealing with. And a pharmacy always needs its vials. So honestly, it wasn't like, it's almost recession proof, like, you're still gonna need your medicine, you're still gonna need your vials, doesn't matter what's happening with the economy, more often than not, like, that's the facts. So, uh, you know, just marketing wise, we didn't want to like, increase our prices, it's a bad look. So we kept our prices the same, and then we increased our shipping cost a little bit, and then we increased our minimum to free shipping. So we were initially orders over $250 were free shipping, and then we gradually lifted it up as the freight increased. But we still kept our costs the same, so subconsciously to the consumer, we, we, our prices never changed. And then we got to make it up in the cost of the freight difference.
0: Uh huh. And and did you find that most people were ordering around that, anyways?
1: They started ordering more to avoid Uh, shipping cost, for sure. But that's that's okay, and that's the nature of the beast. And the more we sell, the margins are always going to be less with the higher sales. So that's fine.
0: That's really cool. Any, um, any kind of high level lessons you've learned in starting your own business? I, I've known you for a long time, you know, not a surprise that you've gone on and, and started your own venture for sure. And I'm glad you're doing well, but what what are some of the lessons learned?
1: Lessons learned, um, like owning your own business, like in theory sounds great and it is, but there's always going to be a curveball no matter what. Um, and I think you just have to be able to, to, to bend and not break. Like a lot of people get fed up quick and like are really re- like ready to just quit. And, um, we've gone through a lot of hiccups, um, from products, from cost, from tariffs, COVID employee, employees not being available to work. Um, just so many varieties and you just have to be able to navigate through those hurdles. Like, like this is, like you have to be very patient and you have to understand that it's never, nothing is smooth. Even the best operation has its hiccups.
0: Um, and so,
1: yeah, we learned all that trial and error. And I wouldn't have had it any other way, honestly. Like if we didn't, we wouldn't understand the value of the business. For sure.
0: Very good. Um, the the last couple of questions around uh, I have are, are, are sort of on the personal side. What's, what's a book, what's a book that you recommend to people or give as a gift?
1: Honestly, I ha- I don't have anything for you. <laughs> no, I'm not. Okay. No, I'm. I'm. Yeah, that's not not my scene. Honestly, I don't like read motivational books or anything. To be honest, <laughs> I, I'm not gonna lie to you. Sorry. I, oh,
0: I appreciate the honesty. What's something you're excited about?
1: Um. So I hate being stagnant in life. Like, I, I, I'm a very what's the next kind of person. On um, so I'm looking forward to the growth of the Vile Store. Um, year over year, you know, we're up a hundred percent the last two years consecutively and so i'm looking for that next step um I still always joke with with the guys that work here. i'm like we're always we're this close from like you know becoming a big player in the game and i, I really think we're there so I'm, I'm looking forward to starting to hit some trade shows some conferences networking with bigger players in the game that can buy in wholesale direct so we're, we're, we're looking for major moves next yeah
0: that's awesome and c- congratulations to you um uh where can people reach you
1: um i am available uh the website has my best contact info um email is best for me right now just juggling a few of the businesses but um, i am available
0: okay well very good the vial right yeah well thank you yusuf for coming on to the show man i really appreciate it
1: thank you for having me let me know
0: if you need anything else Thank you for listening to that episode of the Combinate Podcast. If you'd like to reach out to me for any feedback or to suggest a guest, feel free to use the contact form at letscombinate.com. If you'd like to support the show, please give it five stars and a review on whatever platform you're listening on. It really helps out. And that's all for this episode. We'll see you next time.